I serve in Life for Kids, and I want you to know, if you've got kids in Life for Kids, I love them so much. They are so awesome. And they just really love God. They absorb everything we're trying to teach them. I'm also a full-time Bible college student. Um, And along with that, I'm going to ask you for a little grace today because I'm pretty tired. Our our work this last week has uh, not left me with much sleep. So I'm going to use some notes today so I can try and keep some focus. And before we get started, as we continue in this series about experiencing uh, God, what we're going to talk about today is love and God's invitation to us. So I wanted to ask you a question, though. When I started, when I opened up our workbook for the first time and started to do the work on the first day, I saw that it's quite a bit of work. If you're going to read through that, read all the scriptures, answer the questions, I don't know. For me, I have ADD, and I kind of read things over and over again. I looked at it, and I go, this is an hour's worth of work. And that might be hard for some of you if you're raising kids, um, you're, you have busy work schedules and stuff. But I want to ask you this week to really focus. This is a really important study that we're going to talk about today because it really builds the foundation of who we are as disciples of Christ. I'd ask you maybe to do an extra step, and that is if you're married or you're in a relationship, set aside a time that you can do it together, right? Read it out loud. Answer the question separately and share the answers that you came up with. We all have a tendency to interpret the Word of God a little bit differently, so that's really great. If you're not in a relationship, find a friend and do the same thing. So this morning we're going to talk about love and God's invitation, and it starts with our memory verse for the week, John 14, 21, that tells us the one that has my commands and obeys them, he is the one that loves me, and the one that loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him, and I will reveal myself to him. That's an amazing verse. He tells us how he wants us to love him, And then he promises that if we do that, that he's going to bless us. He's going to reveal himself to us personally. I don't know about you, but I love that thought. And this is so common in Scripture that we would read something where God tells us to do something, but he always promises that if we do it, that there's a blessing that's attached to it. And I love the blessings of God. They always make my life a little bit better. So let's start with talking about how we know God, right? And of course, one of the most important things that we can do to know God is to read the Word of God. That's His love letter to all of us. And in it, we find the stories of individuals that God has had an experience with, and they tell us a lot of the attributes of God based on their individual experiences. And we can start with a couple big characters, Moses and Abraham. So we know Moses, uh, if you remember the story of Moses, there was a decree in the land that uh, the Pharaoh had said that he wanted all the firstborn of the Hebrews of the Israelites to be killed because he was fearful of how great their numbers were growing. And Moses' mom puts him in a basket, sends him down the Nile. The daughter of the Pharaoh finds him, and she wants to keep him. She loves him. She wants to raise him as her own. 
So Moses, he grows up in royalty, right? But one day, uh, he knows he's a Hebrew, but one day he goes out and he sees a soldier that's beating a fellow Israelite, and he kills the soldier, and he runs. He flees because he knows that they'll kill him. So we've got Moses. He, he's got like his little farm going on out in the country, right? He's living good, and all of a sudden, God gets his attention. He's walking along, and he sees a bush that appears to be on fire but not burning. And as he approaches it, God speaks to Moses. Now, what he tells Moses is he wants Moses to, to go back to, the, to Egypt and help get the Israelites out of Egypt. Not something Moses wanted to hear, right? But he was willing to do it after some discussion, and he just had, you know, a question for God. And we see in Exodus 3.13, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What should I tell them? In verse 14, we read, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent, sent me to you. Now the word for I am is the holy word of the Hebrews, Yahweh. And more often we hear the word Jehovah. And Jehovah really is the same thing. It's uh, the Latinization of the word Yahweh. So we talk about Jehovah in the, in the same way. And what we're going to hear as we go on is we're going to hear how important names are to, to the uh, Jewish people, to the Israelites. Every name has a meaning. So we continue on with the story of Moses. He goes, and of course, he's there for years as God works through him. God throws plagues and stuff at, at the uh, Egyptians to try and get the Pharaoh to change his mind and let them go. You know, they got the, the frogs and the locusts and the lice, man. They got stuff being thrown at them over and over again. But eventually what happens is the last thing God does, he says, I am going to do to the Egyptians what they did to my people, the Israelites. And he declares that he's going to take the firstborn of all the Egyptians. And, the, and he tells the, the Jews, okay, you got to paint, take some uh, blood from a lamb and paint it over your door, and the, the angels will pass over your place. And, you know, they won't take your children. And, of course, we know that is the, uh, we get the festival of the Passover from that. So Moses takes the people out. He goes across uh, the sea. God parts the waters, and he ends up at Mount Sinai. And here he has another experience with God where God calls him up on the mountain and talks to him. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. And uh, so now we have the beginning of the law that God set down. These are the beginning of the commandments that we're supposed to, to follow. And then he begins to take the Israelites uh, towards the promised land. And one of the things that happens is they end up in a fight against the Amalekites. And you remember the story, Moses had to hold up his staff. And when he held it up, the Israelites were winning. And when he put it down, they would lose. So he had to hold his hand up and he had to get a couple people to help him to keep it up until they won. And... When they won, of course, one of the things 
that the Israelites always did is they would build monuments and they give them names and they would give, give God a new name. In this case, they gave him the name Jehovah Nisi, which means God is my banner, right? So we'll see that um, as we go through the book. There's some other names, Jehovah Roah, the Lord my shepherd, uh, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, Jehovah Jireh, uh, the Lord will provide. And uh, this continues uh, through the whole Old Testament. Now, these give us some insight as to the experiences that they were having uh, with God. And they're very important. And one of the big takeaways for all of us is God wants us to experience him also. He promised he was going to reveal himself to us, right? So when we go through things in life and, and we recognize that God has just done something in us and through us, we need to build a monument in our heart. Name it if you can. I have monuments in my heart, and they're so important. They remind me of the things that God has done in my, my life, and they remind me that I need to really love and serve my God. So we can look at Abraham now. This is, um, now, Abraham is well before Moses because uh, um, this is where... God first establishes his people. So with Abraham, he's an older man. He's already 75 years old. His wife is 65. And God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want to make a great nation out of you. And of course, they have no children, so he doesn't know how, they don't know how God's going to do this. And actually, it was Abram at the time, Abram and Sarai. And uh, that was important. Um, but he asks him to go to another land that he's going to show him and leave every, everybody else, his family, behind. So Abram says yes. He goes off, and he ends up coming into the land of the Canaanites. And this is the land that we know is going to end up being the promised land when Israel comes back around and, and Moses brings them to the promised land. This is the land where they're supposed to be. Now, Abram and Sarai have another... Um, experience with God and God again promises Abraham he's going to create a great nation out of him and now it's been 25 years Abram is 100 years old and Sarai is 90 years old but God tells them that if you can count the numbers of stars in the sky that this will be the number uh, that will be in your family as a great nation and of course we know that Sarai ends up carrying a child. Uh, she bears a son named, named Isaac. And uh, Isaac bears a son named Jacob. Now Jacob is really important because Jacob bears the, the children and grandchildren that become the 12 tribes of Israel. But if you remember the story also, Jacob gets into a wrestling match with God. And God strikes his hip and causes him to be limp. He, he walks with a limp for the rest of his life. And he renames Jacob and gives him the name Israel. And the name Israel means wrestles with God. Now think about the Old Testament as we study the Israelites. What an appropriate name. I mean, 
everything we read throughout the Old, Old Testament, they're always wrestling with God. And uh, eventually, you know, uh, they come back and, and they, they worship God again, and then they start wrestling with uh, everything that's a distraction around them. So what we see here is we see a God that um, we know is an experiential God, right? He wants us to uh, have an experience with him. So he, he calls us into that. Uh, the other thing is, God invites us to worship. Now, we just did some worship. Don't you love worship? And, and there's a verse here that, that we should read out of, out of Psalms. It says, I will praise you forever what, for what you have done. I have put my hope in your name for its good. Psalms 52, 9. I don't know about you, but I can worship. Um, the contemporary Christian music is so amazing because the authors, most of the time, they're writing about their experiences with God. And when I, when I sing them and I can relate to those experiences, I tell you, sometimes I get so emotional. That last song, The Reckless Love of God, oh, I love that song. It, I have to stop singing sometimes because it just wants to bring me to tears for the things that God has done in my own life. And God wants us in that relationship with him. He wants us to experience that kind of love for him because that's the kind of love he has for us. Now I'll tell you, I have, I have a friend, he's a pastor of a church up in Coeur d'Alene that my wife and I used to go to, and uh, my buddy Rodney. Uh, my wife and I ran a, uh, a uh, Celebrate Recovery in his church, and I got really close with Rodney, and Rodney told me one day that he could actually dislike worship. And his reasoning behind it was, that people came to church and that was the peace that they held on to. That was what they wanted. They wanted to come to church, sing worship, feel good. And when it came to the lessons that they were teaching, they found it harder to take that home and to put it in place in their lives because it, it takes change. It takes a commitment to God. And, you know, that is... The burden of every pastor that serves in a church. Their burden is they so want you to, to experience God at a deep level, and the only way to do that is to carry out the commands of God in our life. A couple scriptures for you. Um, Therefore I urge you, my brethren, by, my mer by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. You are invited to love your God with all of your being. That's the love, that's the worship that God wants, wants you to share. So loving God is one of the key things that uh, we're asked to do. Uh, John 14, 21, again, that's our memory verse, right? The one that has my commands and obeys them. He is the one that loves me. The one who loves me, the 
Father will love, I also will, will love him and reveal myself to him. This is how... Um, so we get, take from that that obviously obedience is the outward expression of our love. And the things that we have to really remember is we can never outlove God. God's very nature is love. Everything he does is out of love. Even as we walk through life experiencing God, we may have times when God has to chastise us. He has to correct us. He wants to move us forward in the right direction. And even that he does out of love for his children. There is nothing in God's will that will ever be less than everything he's got to give. That's just his nature. He will give everything that he has to you if you will love him. Another verse here is... Uh, First John 4, 16, God is love. First John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's, that's an amazing statement. Can, can you guys even comprehend that? I struggle with the amount of love that it took for God to give his son to die on the cross, not in a simple way. Jesus was tortured and hung on the cross and paid the price for our sin. Another scripture here, um, take to heart all these words I am giving as a warning to you today so that you may command your children to follow all the words of this law carefully, for they are not meaningless words to you, but they are your life, and by them you will live long in the land you are crossing to Jordan to possess. Well, we're not crossing into Jordan, but for all intents and purposes, this is clo as close to the promised land that we're going to get, but we're promised a new um, land and a new life. So God's commands are powerful. In that last verse, what we read, though, is we're commanded to teach our children the commandments of God. This is the, the work of disciples. We need to disciple our children, and in order to do that, we must be disciples ourselves. And that's exactly what all this is speaking to. We need to love God enough to put it in our hearts to obey his commands, to learn to take on the very character and nature of God. That's the work that we do as disciples, and then we share it with others, first in our families at home, and with our friends, certainly here at church, that's one of the things we want to do, and in our small groups. One of the things um, that we've got to do is we've got to choose to live in each and every day in order to accomplish God's work. We've got to be willing to live in each moment so that we can see the work that God wants to give us um, and to walk with him each and every day. And that's a choice we have to make. So we're invited to love God through obedience to his commands. And God invites you to join him. We were also created to work. 
And we're always going to work. We're going to work in this life, and we're going to work in the next life also. I'm sure it's going to be a lot more joyful than some of the work we've had to do in our jobs and stuff, but we're going to work for God. Um, And I always think of God like an out-tasker, right? He's looking down at his people, and he's got tasks to hand out. And he sees somebody, oh, there's Joe. I'm going I'm to give Joe this task. But Joe's got to be ready and willing uh, and waiting for that. Um, scripture that uh, we want to read, John 5, 17. But he hands, answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. And this is our example. The, the word of God tells us that Jesus did nothing on his own. He was always watching his father, and whatever his father was doing, that's what he did. And he he even shares that with the disciples. This is the model that we are called to practice ourselves. We need to see what Jesus was doing, and we need to do those same things, and, and that's where we find our need to look at Christ's character and put that in place in our lives. But what he's calling us into is work, right? Um, So it's important for us to know where God is working. Where is God working at? A couple scriptures here. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you everything I have told you. Think about it for a moment. For all of us who have accepted Christ and been baptized, we have the Holy Spirit. He's in us. And God is omnipresent. As we sit here, God is all around us. He's encircled the body of Christ. He is in us and working with us every single day. We don't have to wait for God to come to us to have an experience with God. He's already here. He is already with us ready and willing to work through us if we allow ourselves to do that. I can't think of anything more amazing than to be able to serve God and help him to advance his kingdom. Um, Psalm 52.9 says, I will praise you forever for what you... Oh, I'm sorry. That's... Am I in the right place? Nope. Um, so we pick up here God is at work right here in our church now if you're wondering where you can serve God if you're wanting to know where God is working all you have to do is look around you will see God at work and you need to kind of get that vision that God has see the world the way that God does and see the work that he is doing And when you see it around you, that's your invitation to join in. And let me tell you, it starts right here in our church. Our church is 
built on the foundation of serving God. We want to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. We want to create disciples who create disciples. This is the work of God. And there are places to serve right here. If you haven't found a place to serve yet, you know what I tell you? Call Justin. Call Joe. Keep calling them until you get the answer, right? Tell them you want to serve. You want a place to serve? I can tell you they would love the challenge of finding a place for you all to serve. It is their very heart. It is what they hope for the most, is that you would love God enough to serve. There are people all around you, maybe in your work, maybe your friends, you're going to find people that are hurting, that are struggling in the world. And sometimes all it really takes for us is just to see that and ask the question, you want to talk? I'm a good listener. Can I pray for you? Be a good listener. All you have to do is show them God's love, and you can plant a seed. And then come back over and over again to talk to those people to water that seed so that God can grow it. We can serve God all around us. So let's just kind of summarize. What are the things that we've, we've uh, talked about? First, we are invited to know God experientially. He wants us to experience him. Second, we're invited to worship God with our very being. Third, we are invited to love God through obedience, to carry out his commands and to do the work that he wants us to do. We're invited to join him uh, by letting him work through us. What a wonderful place to be. Gosh, I love it. We're invited to see God's works that only he can do, and there's some things um, we can't do. You know, we can't, only God can draw people to himself, and only God can reveal spiritual truth. Um, and only God can offer the righteousness that only he can bring to our lives. We don't have to do it all. We just need to have our hearts prepared to serve God with love and with gratitude. So let's just take a moment to prepare ourselves for communion.